Psalm 110.4 says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 7, 1 through 4, and verses 23 through 25. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He, he is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds this priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is the word of the Lord. Wow, I've, I have loved this morning. I'm so glad that all of you got to meet Greg Ressler today. Last time he did this was on Easter and always love hearing from Greg. And also I had a chance to walk around the back during some of the singing when we were singing Waymaker and it was just such a joy to see all of you just fully engaged in worship and it was just such a beautiful, beautiful thing. You know, we often say at Lake Baldwin Church that the church is a hospital for sinners and not a showcase for saints. It's a hospital for sinners and not a showcase for saints. And I wanna illustrate that uh, by telling you this little story. Years ago, back in the early 2000s, I had a job where I traveled in and out of Africa. And I'd go to countries like South Africa, Zimbabwe, and on one occasion, I came back from a trip to South Africa, and I had an itch on my right arm. And so I would just kind of scratch it, and I saw a little, a little kind of a mark there. And I would just scratch around it and try not to mess it up, but eventually it wouldn't go away. So I went to my doctor, and the doctor said, for what you need to do for that, it was kind of swelling up, and it was just starting to get painful and itchy. Go home, take some Advil, and see if it goes away. Well, a week later, it had not gone away. It had gotten worse. So I went back to my doctor with this sort of swelling that was going on in my arm, and I began to suspect that maybe it was related to my Africa trip. So I went back to the doctor. The doctor could not diagnose what the source of the, of the swelling was in my arm. But here's what the doctor said to me when I got there. The doctor said, you need to go to the emergency room at Winter Park Hospital right now. Do not even go home. Do not change your clothes. Do not do anything. You go to the emergency room. I go to the emergency room at Winter Park Hospital, and they didn't have enough beds in the emergency room, in, in the sort of the ER, and so I had a bed out in the hallway in the emergency area and I've got doctors checking on me, and they finally put me into a room, and none of the nurses and none of the doctors could figure out what it was that was going on in my arm, and I was getting worse and worse, and I was getting weak, and I was getting feverish, 
And finally, this doctor came along and dealt with it. And here's what he found in my arm. There was a, while I was in Africa, in South Africa, there was a fly that penetrated my arm, went down into my arm, and it turned into a larva and grew into a living creature inside my arm with an incubation period of 12 days after which the animal would, would come out of my arm, that fully, fully grown little animal that was in my arm. Now you're saying, Mike, you ca that cannot be true. That cannot happen. That sounds too much like the movie Alien. And it's like it was. It was. And the doctor, the doctor comes along and showed me this little, this little critter that he pulled out of my arm and suddenly everything was better. And here's what I learned from that. Because in fact, all these nurses at Winter Park Hospital came to my room to see something that they had never seen before. Turns out the doctor was, an, was former uh, special forces for the US military in Africa and was an infectious disease specialist and he knew what it was. He knew what kind of fly it was. He knew about the incubation period and so he pulled it out, put it in a jar and showed it to me and that was the creature that was just a parasite sucking the life out of my body. So I'm here today, I lived through it, really thankful that all that worked out, really thankful for that doctor, and as soon as that parasite left my body, I felt like a free man. I could walk, I could talk, I was healthy, the swelling went down, and it was taken care of. Now I tell you that story because the church is a hospital for sinners and not a showcase for saints. And what do we mean by that? Well, the Bible teaches that all of us all of us have been affected by a sickness called sin. It happened due to the fall. We've been affected by a sickness called sin. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've been affected by that, and it's affecting your life. It affects my life in several ways. One of the results of that is because sin is a transgression of the law of God. Sin made us an enemy of God. Second, not only that, but we would do harm to our neighbor. We failed to love our neighbor, and so the whole thing of man's inhumanity to man and everything that goes wrong in the world can be traced back to the root of sin. And not only that, Jesus said that sin is rooted in the heart. In other words, the problem was inside us, not on the outside of us. And I share all of that with you to set up this passage in Hebrews chapter 7 where we're gonna talk about the topic in Christ alone. And here's what will happen in Hebrews chapter seven. I talked about my infectious disease specialist. I talked about my sickness. You and I need to realize that sin, the Bible teaches that sin is a sickness that infects us all. So this morning in Hebrews seven, we meet the great physician. We meet the doctor of our souls. We meet the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and we meet the author of our complete salvation. So be a pop quiz at the end of this sermon today, because I want you to be able to, to, to understand why we say the church is a hospital of sinners. No, that won't be a pop quiz, but the Lord does give us quizzes. So you're gonna wanna, you're gonna wanna listen to the words of this, this scripture, this passage we're gonna talk about. We saw in the book of Psalms where it says that 
It was a prophecy. This guy Melchizedek was only mentioned a couple of times in the Old Testament. One was in Psalm 110 and verse four, where the prophecy of David says that one would come who would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. The only other place he's mentioned is in Genesis chapter 14, but now the writer to the Hebrews goes into this story and this passage about Melchizedek, and it's in here that we meet the great high priest of our salvation, the great physician, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are gonna be two major categories to this sermon today, based on the passage that we read. The first we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about the person of Christ. We're gonna talk about the person of Christ. We've gotta be crystal clear on who our doctor is. We've gotta be crystal clear about the person of Christ. And then secondly, we will talk about the work of Christ. The title of this message is In Christ Alone because we wanna say this, Christ is unique. He is totally unique in his person and who he is and he is totally unique in his work. A lot of us, because of the sickness of sin, will go around and we will medicate. We will get, just like when I was at the doctor, they said go try some Advil to ease the pain. And so you and I will go around and seek other sources of salvation. What was going on in this passage is that the writer was concerned that these, these, these Hebrews would go back to Old Testament Judaism and the Old Testament priesthood. That was his concern for them, and that's why he talks about Melchizedek and the superiority of Melchizedek as a high priest to show that they dare not go back to the priests of the Old Testament of the tribe of Aaron. That was not the doctor that would help them. Now you and I don't necessarily have that. Now in some cases there might be people that would desert Christ or abandon Christ and go back to traditional religion instead of trusting in Jesus as their savior. But in our secularized culture today and among Christians, the temptation is to fall prey to not necessarily Old Testament priests, but other gods, the God of money, the God of pride, the God of selfishness, these false saviors that we can have in our life. And so that's why we call this in Christ alone, because it's only in Christ that you and I can be cured of this sickness of sin that is the result of the fall. So let's talk, talk first of all about the person of Christ and the way the writer to the Hebrews does it is there is a comparison here with Melchizedek. Now, I realize just looking around the room that a lot of you, you think of Melchizedek and you go, this is not a topic we talk a lot about. Some of you are new to the faith and it's just an unusual word. Others of you may have been Christians for a long time and you've always wondered, what is, what is this in the Bible about Melchizedek? Well, I wanna give you a quick orientation to that name so that you can remember it. Zedek, that is the second half of his name, it's a combination of two Hebrew words. Zedek means righteousness, and then the first part, mel, melchiz, melk is the word, the Hebrew word for king. So that word simply means the king of righteousness, and that was his name. But there's more that we learn about him in this passage, and we're gonna, we're gonna look at Melchizedek because, in effect, Melchizedek prefigures Christ. Theologians refer to this as a type. It is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. 
And the writer to the Hebrews wants to use Melchizedek and his priesthood to highlight the superiority of Christ. And we wanna do the same for you this morning. We wanna highlight for you the uniqueness and the superiority of Christ for your own salvation, for him as the doctor of your soul. Look in uh, Hebrews chapter seven at verse one. You've got that in your bulletin. And let's just go through this a verse at a time. And I want you to meet the doctor of your souls. I want you to meet the great physician through these characteristics of Melchizedek. This is like the resume of Christ. Hebrews 7.1 says, this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God. We're gonna see four things we learn about Melchizedek that all point to Jesus Christ. The first is, he was king of Melchizedek, is both king of Salem and priest of the most high God. Now this was a really unique thing because throughout all of salvation history, redemptive history, there were priests and there were kings, but they were, they were never united in one person. What the writer to the Hebrews is saying is that Melchizedek was a priest king. He was a combination of a king and priest. That was unique throughout the whole Bible. And what that points to is the fact that Jesus Christ also is a priest and a king. What that means to you and me is that Christ uniquely can atone for our sins. He is the cure, redemption. Christ himself is the cure for our sins because he is the great priest. In other words, he is our great physician. He is the doctor of our souls. So he is a priest, but he is not just that. He is also a king. And what that means is that the king what does a king do? A king rules and a king reigns. And so Christ rules. First of all, when you become a Christian, when you get connected to Jesus Christ, he atones for your sin, but he also subdues your heart. And you become a different person. You become a person that is having to wrestle with, the, get, get sorted out what it means for Jesus to be the king and the Lord of your life, and isn't that something you've been wrestling with since you became a Christian? Haven't you had to sort out who gets to be king, who gets to sit on the throne, who gets to rule? Christ is the perfect priest king. There's a second thing we see about Melchizedek, and it's found in the second part of Hebrews 7.1, check that out. It says, this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Now, it brings up Abraham, who we talked about last week, and it's talking about a time in Genesis 14, before Abraham and Sarah had any children. Abraham was a warrior, and there was a time when all these adversaries, these four kings, raided the family and the people of Abraham, raided all this, the people that were with him. He had, a, he had a cousin by the name of Lot, you might remember him from the Old Testament. So Lot was taken captive. Lot was abducted. All their possessions and all these people were taken away. So Abraham organizes a raiding party and Abraham goes and defeats these kings. And what it says in Genesis 14 is that when Abraham returns, he is greeted by Melchizedek. And Melchizedek just appears in Genesis 14 and he ministers to Abraham. It's an amazing, amazing thing because all of this predated the Levitical priesthood. This was Melchizedek. A couple of things happened in that encounter in Genesis 14. One, it says that 
that um, Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And it's such a wonderful picture of what Christ does for us. You and I are frequently in a battle, in a fallen world, and we return to a priest king. We return to a great physician who blesses us. Part of his blessing was to provide bread and wine for Abraham. And isn't it true that one of the ways that Christ blesses us Every month when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we have the bread and the wine. That is Christ blessing us with his grace and with his favor uh, in, the, in the Lord's Supper. The other thing we noticed here is that Abraham paid tithes. This illustrates that the whole concept of 10% of the plunder, he was giving it to Melchizedek. That predated the Mosaic Law, this whole idea of presenting something to, to someone who is a superior. And so, what is the, so we see that happening. It says in verse two, and to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. So even, even us, as we relate to Christ, we give him all that we have, we give him our lives, and the idea of, that we carry over in is the whole idea of giving a tithe to Christ, a tithe to him, is an expression of our devotion to him. We see that happening here. Thirdly, there's a third thing about Melchizedek we wanna see in this passage. Verse two again, and to Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. Then it says, of Melchizedek, he is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem. He is, remember I said Melchizedek, it's king, and it's righteousness, the combination of two words. So it says here, by the translation of his name, he is king of righteousness, and then he's also king of Salem, which became Jerusalem. King of Salem, and Salem is the word for peace, shalom in the Hebrew. So he's the king of righteousness, he is the king of peace. So that is the third thing we see here about Melchizedek, king of righteousness and king of peace. And isn't it true that's what Christ is? Christ is perfectly righteous, and, but he is also the one who gives us peace with God. You and I do not have peace with God. You don't, we don't naturally have that, but the way we find peace with God is by receiving the gift of the righteousness of Christ by faith. So Christ is our king of righteousness because he is righteous, but he confers his righteousness, righteousness upon us by faith, and that is when we have peace with God. You know, I think about when I had that, that, that creature in my arm, and just the peace I felt after all of that. I needed to have that dealt with, and then I felt this peace. And the New Testament talks about we have been justified by faith, and we have peace with God. We have made peace with the righteousness of God. So we see that in Melchizedek, and we see that in Christ. And then here's a fourth thing that we learn about him. This is why Jesus is so unique, and we see this in verse, verse three. It says, he is without father or mother, speaking of Melchizedek, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Now, does this really teach that Melchizedek had no parents and no end to his life? No, but this is how he appears in Scripture. The, the, uh, in the uh, Levitical priesthood, those priests had to inherit their, their role as a priest by lineage. 
What this passage is saying is that he did not have a lineage that gave him a role as priest, but he was simply ordained by God as priest. And that is the same thing with Jesus. Jesus, in a much greater way, had no beginning. Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus has always existed. He always will exist. And he rose from the dead to prove that he had an indestructible life. And so Jesus is totally different from the priesthood of Aaron and the Levitical priesthood. And that's the fourth thing we see about Christ in this, this passage. He, he lives forever. He is a priest forever. Now, I share all this with you because, first of all, if you're a believer in Christ this morning, you need to be, a, be reminded that Christ is the doctor of your soul. That as you experience the consequences of your sin or others sinning against you in your life, that Christ is the doctor of your soul. He is your perfect high priest. You, you ought not to run to other things to give you salvation and to give you hope and to give you comfort because Christ is unique. It is found in him alone. Now, I need to uh, say some things to Brad Hattischelt because when you ordain someone to the office of elder, you also want to, uh, you need to give them what's called a charge. You need to reassure them about certain things and talk about certain things. But I want to say something to you, Brad, about Christ being the high priest. You know, Christ alone is the head of this church. It's no human being. And when Brad or anybody becomes an elder, Brad, I'm sure there are times when you feel inadequate to serve as an elder of the church, and I know that I have felt that as a pastor. What you need to know is that Christ is the one who leads this church. It is Christ alone who does that. He is the one that will make you adequate. For those of you in the room that have never put your faith in Christ, you've never heard this before, you've never heard about the great physician, you've never known that there was a sickness called sin. You've never known how it would affect you. What I want to do is in the same way that the life of Melchizedek points us to Jesus Christ, if you don't know Christ this morning, I want to point you to him as the doctor of your soul. You do not need any other medicine. You do not need any other doctor for your soul. Now, you got to go to a doctor for physical things and all that kind of thing, but the doctor of your soul, your high priest, He's the one you want to turn to. All right, let's go to the second point of the sermon because this is where, what, what, what difference does this make in our life? How does Christ, what is Christ doing now? So I want to talk about the work of Christ, the work of Christ. Christ is unique in his person, but he is also unique in his work. We, said, we talk about all, all the time how in redemption, Christ died for our sins and he rose from the dead but that's not all that the story is about. Christ rose from the dead, but he also ascended to the Father, and he is seated at the right hand of his Father. Christ is bodily in heaven right now, and that is also a part of the gospel. So the question is, why did Jesus go to heaven? The question is, what is Jesus doing right now? And verse 25 answers that question. So check this out in your bulletin where you've got the passage there. I want to read verse 25 to you. And what I'd like to do is I want to squeeze this verse like a turnip because it has got so much stuff in it. Look at verse 25. It says, consequently, well, I'll start with verse 24 so you can get a little context there. Verse 24 says, 
that Christ holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. I want you to notice two things in this verse about the work of Christ and how it applies to our lives, how it applies to your life right now. The first thing we wanna see, what is Christ doing in heaven? It says in verse 25 that he always lives to make intercession for them. The living Christ, your high priest right now is in heaven making intercession for you. He is praying for you. He is bringing your prayers to God. He is representing you before the throne of God. What does this really mean that Christ is interceding for each of us at the right hand of God? Let's talk about that for just a second. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it's talking about dealing with our sin, this problem of sin. And John writes in 1 John 2, 1, he says, I write this to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So what that is saying is that you and I, because Christ lives at the right hand of the Father, he is our advocate, he is our defense attorney. So picture this, you appear in a courtroom and you are on trial for your sins. I talked earlier about sin being a sickness that has affected all of us. We have offended a holy God, so you and I are in a courtroom, we are in trial for our sins, and we see God up there, the judge, the judge who is perfectly righteous, and we appear before him as a sinner, and there is a prosecuting attorney known as the devil. Revelation 12.10 says that he accuses the brethren before God night and day. So you've got that prosecuting attorney. And so the father, the judge, looks at you as the defendant and says, this is the sin of which you have been accused. How do you plead? And if you're in touch with reality, if you're listening to the doctor, if you're listening to the diagnosis of the Bible that says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, you stand there and you say, I plead guilty. I plead guilty, I am a sinner, and you are confessing your sins and you are acknowledging your sins before God. And at that moment, your defense attorney stands up on your behalf and looks at the Father and says, Father, I died for that sin too. That sin that you committed this morning, that sin that you committed last week, the way that you hurt people, the, the lust and the lies in your heart, your pride, your selfishness, all of that, Christ stands up, you confess your sins, and he says, Father, I died for that sin too. And so the judge, the father, plops his gavel down and says, case dismissed. You are totally pardoned for that sin. That is what, what Christ does for us. He intercedes for us. You'll notice what it says. Look back at verse 25. It says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. And I wanna put that qualifier in there because it's not like God is a Santa Claus who just sort of says, I was just kidding about all that righteousness stuff, don't worry about that, no. We need to come to God through Christ and so this having Christ as our advocate is for people who admit that they're sinners, people who admit, who say yes, I plead guilty to that sin, and those are the ones for whom Christ died. Those are the ones for whom he pleads as our intercessor before the throne of God. So that is what Christ is doing right now, and as such, he ensures 
our eternal destiny. He ensures our justification. He ensures that he will complete that work that he began in us at salvation. So that is what Christ is doing right now. He is interceding for us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a great truth? But there's more. There's more to it. Look again. We're going to squeeze this verse like a turnip. Look at verse 25 one more time. Look at what it says. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Notice this, Christ is able to save to the uttermost. In other words, your high priest, the doctor of your soul, is able to save to the uttermost. So he doesn't just save you from the penalty of sin. Remember we said because of sin, we have offended a holy God, we've made ourselves enemies of God, and now we have peace with God because Christ has paid for the penalty of of our sin. But there's more than that. Christ is our redemption, and right now in our lives, Christ is also setting us free from the power of sin through the Holy Spirit. And one day, restoration, he will set us free from the presence of sin, and he will give us a body just like ours. In other words, he is able to save completely. He is able to save to the uttermost everyone who comes to God through him. He is continuing in heaven his work of your salvation. Now, how does that affect you? How does that affect you and me? I wanna talk about something that I think is a common common sin that, well, I go through it, and I expect a lot of you to do as well. Uh, I've, I've talked before about struggling with anger, just just struggling with anger. The Bible says be angry, but do not sin. So what do we, what do we learn about the misuse of anger and being hurtful towards other people? Well, uh, since it says be angry, but do not sin, in other words, do not become destructive with your verbal anger towards other people. So I know that when I do that, I need to acknowledge that sin to God. I need to confess that sin to God. So I'll do that, and, and I have an advocate with the Father, and it is a, it is a wonderful thing. You guys, I cannot, con- I cannot recount to you all the times that the selfishness of Mike Tilly's heart has resulted in wrong thoughts and anger and words and action. And I'm so glad that I have one who is able to save to the uttermost. But there's more. Because it's not, Christ intercedes for me because he applies the atonement. He's the great high priest. But not only that, he's able to save to the uttermost. When Christ ascended to the Father, he didn't just go to the Father to plead for us. The Bible tell, tells us that God sent the Holy Spirit to his church. So God is in the business of transforming you. God is in the business of changing you. God is in the business of conforming you to the image of Christ, and it will take all your life, but he wants to save you to the uttermost. And so what that does, when I get a glimmer of that, when I get a glimmer of the work of the grace of the Holy Spirit in my heart, here's how it feels to me, and here's why I rejoice in it on a good day, and that's when my anger turns into empathy. When I'm spending time in prayer for someone, when I'm appealing to Christ at the right hand of the Father, I not only get forgiveness, but I also get a change of heart. And what God is doing is he's moving my heart 
from hatred to love. And have you noticed that he'll do that in your life? Have you noticed that the living Christ at the right hand of God, if you're a believer in Christ, he wants to save you to the uttermost. He has sent the Holy Spirit into your heart, and now when you're selfish, you don't like how you feel, you don't like how you look. When you're prideful, you don't like how you come across to people. When you are lustful, you don't like how that comes across and how that affects your life and your relationships. When you say, when you speak to people with malice and you're carrying hatred in your heart, you don't like that in yourself, but you now know that God has sent to us the Holy Spirit to be at work in our life and you don't like that and you say, Lord, please change me, please work on that area of, life, of my life, make me a loving person, make me a generous person, make me a kind person, make me a patient person. All of these things are the work of the Holy Spirit and this is what Christ is doing now. When you're going through those things, remember that your great high priest is not just giving you Advil, he is doing a work in your heart we have a great physician who performs heart surgery. He's not just trying to change your behavior, he's trying to change your heart, and God calls us to respond to him in that process of sending the Holy Spirit in our lives. Richard Phillips, a commentator in the book of Hebrews, said this. He said, what sets Christianity apart? is a living savior, a living savior, not just a dead savior, a living savior who not only puts away our sin forever, but sends us power from heaven. That's what he does. Now how do you access that power? You access that power by appealing to the doctor of your souls, the great physician, your great high priest. You exercise the power that he sends to you by worshiping with other believers and by hearing the word of God. You access that power through prayer. You say, God, I, I confess my sins. I need you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. You access that power by being in fellowship with people who will challenge you and help you grow. And you do not become purpose, but that is God's plan for your, you do not become perfect, but that is God's plan for the sanctification of your soul right now in your life, whether you realize it or not. It might be on pride. He might be working on self-righteousness. He might be working on anger. He might be working on lust, but he is performing heart surgery on your life, and it is your job to get yourself to the doctor. It is your job to cooperate with that process because he has sent power from heaven to change your life. I cannot think of better news than that. That is good news. Good news, salvation from the penalties of sin and salvation from the power of sin. We, this church is a hospital for sinners, not a showcase for saints, and we have a savior, we have a great doctor. And I wanna say to you, Brad, one more little challenge here. Brad, as an elder in this church, and really in many ways we do this for each other, you are the physician's assistant. You have a doctor for whom you work as an elder, and my charge to you today is that as you work with people in this church that you give them the medicine of the gospel. You know, Brad, you already know this, otherwise you wouldn't be signing up for what you're doing. You know Christ is a great physician, and you know that the only medicine ultimately for the souls and the hearts of people to change them is the medicine of the gospel. How about some application to land the plane here? How about some application for your life and mine from this passage? We've seen the person of Christ 
looking at it through the lens of Melchizedek who prefigured Christ, and we have seen the work of Christ, that he's at the right hand of God. Four applications for you right now, four takeaways from this thing. I think God will give the pop quiz about this passage, but here are some things you can do. Number one, if you believe that you're a sinner and you believe that you are beyond the reach of the grace of God, you are not, and you are welcome in this church. Whatever your struggle, whatever your battle, you belong here, you have come to the right place, you have come to a place that offers you the doctor of your souls. You are welcome here. Do not look around and think that this place is a showcase for saints and you don't measure up. Every person in this church is a sinner and needs the doctor. That is what the Bible teaches and if you feel alone in your sin, you are not. Number two, number two. If you're here and you've never um, acknowledged the sickness of sin, in other words, you've just thought, I didn't even know this fly had penetrated my system and that I was a sinner. One of the things I would challenge you to do is to acknowledge the sickness of sin in your life. In our culture, it's not popular to say that. But it is one of the healthiest things you can do. When I went to that doctor and they told me to get myself to the emergency room, I could have resisted. I could have said, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm alive. No, get yourself there. That's the third, third application. If you have never put your faith in Christ before, I want to challenge you to go now to the emergency room. Like that doctor said to me, go now. Do not put it off. Go now. Realize that you need to take Christ as the doctor of your soul. You need to admit that you're a sinner and you need to say, Jesus, thank you that you died for my sins, you rose from my dead, and I want you as my great high priest. And I call on your name, and I commit your life to, to that. You can do that instantly. It's not a drive to a hospital, but you need to do it. You need to get yourself to the emergency room. And then finally, number four, I say to all the Christians in this church, to all the believers in the sound of my voice, I challenge you to regularly in your Christian journey of sanctification to take the medicines and the nutrients of grace, prayer, the word of God, fellowship, the Lord's Supper, baptism, take those nutrients because that is how the, the, the healing of the gospel changes our hearts. Would you do that? Let's pray. Lord, there's a lot here there's a lot here, but it is really phenomenal that our souls are cared for by you. It is so phenomenal, Lord, that you are our willing high priest, our perfect high priest. Lord, would you, would you help all of us who have turned to other lesser gods for our salvation? And would you enable us to live for you in Christ alone? And we pray, Lord, that our souls would arise in new health today because of our great high priest who intercedes for us. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing about it.